Good morning. It is such a joy to be with you today and to talk with you a little bit about something that you may know a good bit about if you've been in Kingsville for a long time, or if you're new to Kingsville, you may know little or almost nothing about, and that's called the Sarah Thompson Mission Fund. We pick a Sunday in the month of October to celebrate this mission fund and in celebrating this fund, also encouraging you to give. When Jesus left the church on earth, he gave them a task. And that task was found in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And it's called, what's it called? The Great Commission. We call it a Great Commission because it follows on the heels of the great command. The great command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And as Jesus made that clear, then He sent us to love our neighbor. And the greatest way we can love our neighbor is to introduce them to Christ. But Jesus made sure we didn't think it was just our Next door neighbor, he was sending us to. So in Matthew twenty-eight eighteen through 20, Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Well, God stirred the heart of one little girl. Her name was Sarah Thompson. And when Sarah had reached an age of older adolescence, she was stricken with cancer. And we have this is the best picture that we have on file of her. It's not a great picture, but while battling the cancer, she came forward during one of our church services while Pastor Jim Spencer was pastor here at Kingsville. And she said to him, Pastor Jim, I want my life to count for something. Well, a short while afterwards, Sarah went to be with the Lord. After much prayer from the church that the Lord would rescue her, from her parents that the Lord would rescue her. He did, but he rescued her eternally. And he took her home. But Pastor Jim was left to think, how could I help that wish be fulfilled. And so, after reflection and prayer, he said, I want to establish a mission fund in Sarah's name. Go ahead, Lynn. And he did. He spoke with Sarah's family, and they put together a mission fund at that time. Now, it seemed like a very small thing at the time. But I want to walk you through how big it really is. Go ahead, Lynn. Just start clicking. There's Kingsville, Montana, Canada, Ecuador, Suriname, Brazil, Scotland, Burkina Faso, Ghana, Angola, Zimbabwe, Thailand, China, I want you to think for just a moment if Sarah had any idea what was actually going to happen with her coming forward and saying, I want my life to count. Over the years, God has taken that thought that she had, planted a seed in Brother Jim's heart, and blossomed into our church one of the most excellent mission work funding systems I've ever seen or heard of. Over the years, you have been faithful to give. You have sacrificed. And what's happened is these four things get to occur. First, we collect funds year-round with an emphasis beginning in October. The Sarah Thompson Fund matches up to one half of the cost of an individual's mission trip, which is their travel room and board, with a maximum of $1,500 per person annually. Members of Kingsville apply in writing to the KBC Missions Committee. The trip must be IMB, International Mission Board, NAM, N-A-M-B, North American Mission Board, or KBC. You know that one. It must be related and approved. And then after that approval process, they're given the funds 
and they're distributed to that person. And you've been responsible in that giving for putting people all over the earth. In fact, on a Sunday two years ago, on one Sunday, there was a person from Kingsville, sponsored in some way by Kingsville, only one of them not at the time being sponsored by the Sarah Thompson Mission Fund, on every continent except Antarctica on one given Sunday out of this church. That is amazing. And I want to give glory to God. I want to give thanks for what Pastor Jim saw, what little seed blossomed in Sarah's heart. And what I want to encourage you to do is to keep it going. God calls out from our church every year folks who travel to several places in the world. Sean, I'm so glad he's back. He and Robert just got back yesterday. Two more guys will be coming in on Wednesday. Next team will be going out on November the 7th. And then we have had folks go all over. You saw the list. I want to thank you. And I just want to ask you to pray and give sacrificially and to go. So we're going to look together now at one of the things that the Sarah Thompson Fund is helping undo, Genesis 11. Join me there for the scripture reading for today, and I'll talk to you about, in the sermon, how missions is undoing Genesis 11 and what that means for the church. Genesis chapter 11. All right, if you'll stand with me as we read together. Now, the whole earth used the same language and the same words. And it came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. They used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. And they said, come, let us build a For ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name. Lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people. And they all have the same language. This is what they began to do, and now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. Let's pray together. Father, the gospel is the great undoing of the fall of man and its repercussions, and we rejoice in it today. That you are now, after dispersing every tribe and tongue and nation, You are now gathering every tribe and tongue and nation into a people for your own possession. A people for your glory called out of the world and into the body of Christ. Your people, the church. We praise you. And we pray we will be good stewards of the command to go. And not fall into the trap that the idolatrous men and women did in Genesis 11. Of thinking that staying home and safe and comfortable and dependent on mankind is even an option for the church. Grant us that we may go. Speak to us today through your word, by your spirit. And I am thankful that you gathered us. I pray for everyone who came. Some came with Heavy burdens, Father. And I pray that this very day they would cast them upon Christ who cares for them. That through prayer they would be relieved of anxiety. There are some laboring with decisions. 
Give them wisdom. There are some hurting. I pray you give them comfort. Some are sick. I pray that you heal, sustain, and encourage. And some have come with hearts of rejoicing. And let those hearts be filled. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
sing this with me. God in three persons. And God in three persons. Blessed tree. Amen. You may be seated. If you ever had to study history in school or if you along the way were exposed to some of the European history of the Middle Ages, you would have heard about what was called the Black Plague or the Black Death. It was a fearsome event in the world 
It was so intense and widespread that accurate numbers have never been able to be assembled in the the scientific world. The numbers of even what the world population was at the time of the plague, which kind of kicked off around 1346 and came to its apex and decline around 1353. But some estimates say that between 75 and 200 million people died, and that in Europe it accounted for the death of somewhere between 30 and 60 percent of the entire population of Europe. We've known of nothing like it since. An incredible plague. The challenge to the plague for everyone who was experiencing it was they didn't know how it was being transmitted. There was confusion about how the plague moved from one person to another person. In fact, that confusion was so strong that even modern scientists until a recent discovery uh, were even baffled about what caused the plague at all because of its tenacity, its ferocity in what it did to the human body, how quickly it did what it did. Some people would die within two days of contracting this sickness. The thought at the time was that it was bad air. And so they got this idea that bad air was somehow floating around. They didn't know exactly what that bad air was caused by, where it came from, where it was going, but they became very suspicious of smells. They became very suspicious of odors, of fogs, of mists. And they tried to shield themselves with masks and tried to shield themselves with sort of retreats where no one with bad air could be let in. They thought it was a problem of certain people and ethnicities that those people brought the bad air and there was an extermination of certain people and their ethnicity because they thought that they were the carriers of this bad air. And so the problem that confused them was the method of transmission of this plague from one person to the next. Had they been able to find out how it was transmitted, they could have stopped the spread. But they didn't. It was not until many, many hundreds of years afterwards that finally someone figured out what was causing the transmission and how it made its first path coming up what's called the Silk Road out of China and how it made its way from the Silk Road to the trading stations, from the trading stations to the trading vessels, from the trading vessels to the ports that received them, from the ports that received them to the cities and from the cities out into the countryside. How could this bad air be traveling? But it wasn't air at all. It it was a tiny flea. A flea that was hitching a ride on a certain kind of rat. And the rat had a degree of resistance to the plague, so it didn't die immediately. It was able to live for a while, and the fleas would bite the rats. The rats lived on the Silk Road. They lived in the cities where the Silk Road led. They lived in the port towns where the ships sailed out of. They lived in the ships. They lived in the towns where the ships docked and brought their trades. And they lived in every city and countryside. And this rat and this flea 
together brought the black plague. And the very interesting thing about the flea is it was the flea's vomit of all things that spread the plague. Because the plague would get into this flea's stomach and stop it up. And the flea would begin to feel that he was starving to death. And he would start biting voraciously. Jumping on anything it could bite. It didn't care what it bit as long as it... And it would bite, and it would bite, and it would bite. And every time it would bite, it would vomit a little bit. And into that body, it would introduce the plague. Well, God saw that there was a plague spreading in mankind. And that that plague needed to be stopped or slowed. And so He took action. Walk with me through six things today about the plague of human sin and its spread and God's work to slow the spread for His purposes. In chapter 11, we see that God looks down and He sees, number one, the sinful plans of mankind. If you see in this group that is still together. It's answering a question that should have been posed when you read chapter 10. When you read chapter 10 of the book of Genesis, you get to a place in verse 3 that says they were separated and there were languages and ethnicities and nations. And then you get to chapter 10, verse 20, and you see that there are languages and families and nations. And you get to the end of Uh, You get to verse 31 of chapter 10, and there's languages and families and nations. And 32, there's these nations and languages, and you have to say, if they all came out of the boat with Noah, where did all the languages come from? Chapter 11 says, here's where they came from. It's actually looking back at some things that precede events in chapter 10. So chapter 11 answers, where did all those tongues and tribes and nations come from? They came here. God looked down and He saw the sinful plans of mankind. They said, come let us build for ourselves a city and a tower that will reach into heaven. They were scheming. They were carrying out an idea and they could pull it off because they all spoke one language. And so the scheme could be transmitted to everyone and they all got on board and they all started working together. But number two tells us where it was coming from. It was coming out of the sinful pride of mankind. You see, God had made them. God had spared this people, Noah, his sons, his sons' wives, and the generations that would come from them. And rather than making a name for God, that he deserved and worshiping him and giving him the praise that is due as Noah did when he got off of the ark and sacrificed and gave worship to God. They said, we'll make ourselves a name. We will not give God the glory that he is due as creator and as savior. We will make a name for ourselves. So human pride gets involved. But then number three, God sees the sinful purposes of mankind. This is important to understand why what is going on is so sinful. Plans are being made, but they're made rooted in pride. But they're also made rooted in disobedience. Why would this be a problem? Lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth? Well, let's go back just a few chapters in Genesis to chapter 9 and read. Join me there. Chapter 9. And God blessed Noah, verse 1, and his sons, and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and do what? Fill the earth. Well, the only way you're going to fill the earth is to be scattered abroad across the earth, to go out and be dependent on God, not upon man, to go out and do what He has said. That wasn't just the first time that that command had been given. Go back to Genesis chapter 1. It's there again. In chapter 1, verse 28 of Genesis, And God blessed Adam and Eve and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so there was this call to go out and subdue the earth. 
So these people were doing three things that were sinful. First, they were trying to make a name for themselves. That was pride. Second, in their purposes, they were disobeying God. Very, frankly, clearly, just disobeying. He had given specific commands that would be passed down, and they disobeyed him. Rather than being fruitful, multiplying, and filling, subduing the earth, they said, let's hang out together. We don't need to be dependent on God and go out and risk what it would be to subdue the earth. We'll just stay right here and be dependent on each other. And so their sin of pride and their sin of disobedience was also added to by their sin of seeking to be independent from God, yet dependent on mankind. This was not God's plan. In fact, it was the opposite. And so here God sees this and He is going to judge it. So the next part of your outline kind of takes you to that. We'll see God's response to this. How did He respond? Well, number four, God shows the feebleness of mankind's plans. I don't know how big your plans are, but no matter how grand they are, in God's eyes, they're tiny, little, bitty, minuscule. And there's some humor in Genesis 11. The, 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 Gen- the Genesis humor is found in two verses. It's kind of, it's kind of funny. It, if you read it and you think about it, Here's these guys and gals, and we're going to build a tower up to heaven. It's going to reach up into heaven. And so they do. They build this tower that reaches up into heaven. And God says, let's go down and look at it. And what's He saying? He's saying, it's not as high as they think it is. God will have to stoop. He will have to condescend. He will have to come down. Because it is nowhere near reaching what they think it's reaching. It's nowhere near as high, as mighty, or as magnificent as they think it is. In fact, God humorously says, they have built a tower into heaven. Let us step down out of heaven and go see it. And so God shows that even... The grandest plans that we have are very feeble and small. That His plans are the lasting, the good, the eternal, the immortal plans. Now, this should say something to us. Things that look good to each other may not look good to God at all. In fact, the Bible tells us that the things, Jesus said these words, the things that are highly honored among men are detestable to God. And so our human pride, our human independence, and our human disobedience, no matter how grandiose we build a scheme in all of those things to make ourselves lifted up and admired and praised. God doesn't see it that way. He sees us exactly as we are. And as a result, He reveals to us the smallness of our plans and anything that we do in absence of Him. God not only shows the feebleness, number five, God slows the spread of sin through confusion of language. When I pondered this passage over this last week, God began to work in my heart um, a realization of something that I think is at least secondary, if not primary, to the lesson we need to take home today. You see, when we think about the Black Plague and its uh, method of transmission, 
And we get down to the very place where the plague was transmitted, carried by the rats and then the flea biting the rat and then the flea biting the next victim. And often that was human. And the death that was spread. We, we see this flea literally by its bite injecting death into the host. And if we could say to each other, man, if we could have done something about those fleas, how many lives we would have saved. There's something that God showed me this week that jarred me, rattled me in this story. Because the method of transmission of evil that God heads off is the power of the tongue. He steps in and He says, this is how I'll slow the spread. I will cause the power of the tongue to transmit its evil message to be halted by confusing the language So they cannot communicate and thereby spread their evil intents to one another. And God teaches us in Genesis 11 that His first step in stemming the spread of evil among humans after the flood is to show us the place and the way by which it is most readily spread. Our mouths. When I saw this this week, it was one of those moments where you just kind of get punched in the gut. And all of a sudden you realize the power of words. Not that we've not been taught that. In fact, come with me to the book of James and look at how James lays out this very truth in such a stark way, in such a plain way, and I think we've failed to see how powerful this is and how much ruin can come from it when we misuse our tongue. If it is the thing that God used to slow the spread of evil, I believe that it is also the thing Satan uses to hasten it. James says it in chapter 3. In verse 2, For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put bits into the horse's mouth so that they may obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Behold, the ships also, though they are so great, are driven by strong winds, we are still direct, they are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So the tongue is also a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Behold, how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among the members of our body, which defiles the entire body, and is set on fire the course of your life, and is set on fire by hell. In chapter 11, we are being foretold what James will make so clear is that our tongues can inject evil and death into the ears of our hearers. And that uncontrolled, that tongue is set on fire by hell itself. I don't think we understand how powerful our words are. If God, in all of His wisdom, says, okay, here's how I'm going to slow the spread of evil. I'll stop their ability to communicate. Then what he's saying is that it's likely 
that it is our primary method of transmission. And just like those infected fleas, we bite each other. And with our tongues, inject our poison into the reputations and the lives and the souls of people made in the image of God. We have a host of Proverbs that tell us, come with me and let's just walk through them. Because this is nothing new to James. It was taught to us in the wisdom. Come with me to Proverbs and just watch this. This is one of those sets that would be great to mark. Chapter 12 will start, and then 15, and then 17, and then 18. And we'll just kind of hit four passages here. Proverbs 12, verse 8. Excuse me, 18. Bad about not putting that little one on there. Proverbs 12:18. There is one who speaks rashly like the thrusts of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Do you see the contrast there? That your tongue is like a sword stabbing people, or it is like a doctor healing people. And you're doing... One of those two, anytime you use it. He goes further in 15.4. A soothing tongue or healing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. Think about the power he's speaking of. He says that your tongue bringing truth, gospel, God is like a tree of life that someone eats from. And it is also like an injection of perversion crushing someone's spirit. He goes further, 17.4. Proverbs 17.4. An evildoer listens to wicked lips. A liar pays attention to a destructive tongue. In other words, the infected love more infection. The infected love more infection. If you find it gratifying to hear someone tear another person down, you're infected. If you find it gratifying to be in a circle of people who attack and stab with their tongues, and that gives you any pleasure, you're infected. 18.21 says to us, And I just gave you a few examples. If you want to knock it out, get the word mouth and the word tongue out of the thesaurus, I mean, out of the concordance and just look it up. It'll, it it will blow you away. Verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Think about that. Think about that. Think of the hypodermic needle that brings the inoculation to the infant that protects them from the viruses. And think of the flea that bites the infant and infects. Your mouth is like one of those. My mouth is like one of those. And I am either biting the host and injecting life with gospel, or I'm biting the host and injecting death with a tongue that's been set on fire by hell itself. I was crushed by this. Because I'm like you, I'm guilty. None of us could come up here today and say, oh, not me. 
be kind of a liar, liar, pants on fire moment. We know. But what we fail to see is its power. And God scared me this week with its power. He made me fear my tongue. I hope He's making you fear yours. Matthew 15, 18, Jesus said, Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Remember what I said about the flea? The flea is only vomiting what's in his own stomach when he bites the host. When we speak, we're just vomiting what's in our heart. That's all we're doing. And it ought to be telling us that something's wrong with our hearts. It ought to be scaring us. If the flea knew down inside him if he had any soul, if he had any conscience, which fleas don't, but if he did, wouldn't he hate what he does every time he bites? And if we are of any conscience and the Holy Spirit is in us, will we not hate the sin of destroying men and women with our tongues? And will we not repent? And so God came down. And He shows the feebleness. They can't even reach up to where He wouldn't have to condescend to look. You know that God sees everything. He doesn't have to have a telescope. But this was in order for us to understand the feebleness. God slows the spread of human sin through the confusion of languages. And we see the darkness of how we become just like the fleas traveling out of the Silk Road, biting and infecting if our tongues are set on fire by hell. But God does something else here. And I want to glory in it with the last few minutes we have. Number six, God sows the seeds of understanding how the gospel will be spread and affect the nations. If the tongue has the power of life and death, and if the heart will vomit itself out through the mouth, what will it be? our hearts are filled with the gospel and we choose to infect the world with Jesus. What will it be if we set our hearts today to carry out the Great Commission? Come with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and listen to something that the Apostle Paul said. Actually, not 3, chapter 1. And this is so glorious. And I hope that this will encourage you greatly. Because as much as we have the condemnable guilt of infecting our host with the vomit of a wicked heart, we have the laudable privilege of infecting the host with the message of Christ. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, For since the wis- in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Do you see what he's doing there? What happened at Pentecost? God gave a glimpse of the undoing of Babel. Where in a brief moment, men from 
tongues and tribes and nations were able in a miraculous moment of time to hear the gospel in their own language as if all the languages in that moment were only one. God was giving a glimpse of the undoing of Babel and Babylon. And that that undoing is done through you using your mouth to tell people about Jesus. So that out of every tongue and tribe and nation, God assembles for Himself in heaven a people for His praise and His glory and His honor. And how did He get them? Through your mouth. Because you told them about Jesus. You undid Babel. You went and told them in another country through an interpreter. Or you went and told them in your own language next door. But because you took your mouth and you said, I have something in my heart I want to infect the nations with. I've got the wonderful love of my blessed Redeemer deep down in the depths of my heart. Deep down in the depths of my heart. Deep down in the depths of my heart. I've got the wonderful love of the blessed Redeemer deep down in the depths of my heart. And so I'm going to infect the nations. I will participate in the undoing of Babylon through the message of Christ, bringing in all cultures, all races, all ethnicities, bringing them into one people where there is no Jew or Greek, no slave or free, no male or female, where we are one in Christ. I am a flea. And I will bite. And I will infect every host I can with this story. God made us in His image. We rejected Him and became sinful. We had every reason to fall under His judgment and we deserve hell through our sin. But in His rich mercy, He sent His Son Jesus, God in human skin, to come and to suffer and to live righteously and to die sacrificially, and on the third day to be raised from the dead so that all who repent and believe in Him shall have their sins washed away eternally, be infected with this glorious truth of the Gospel, be saved, and be now children of the King. You know what you're taking home with you today? Your mouth. My question is, what you're going to do with it. It's your choice. Now, some of you are incapable because what's in you is not Christ. You still have the virus in you, the plague of death, and you are dying from it. And it will kill you physically and spiritually. Take your soul. And you need Jesus. And so I'm going to call on everyone to bow together. And if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, and if what dwells in your heart is this black, dark, dead wickedness that injects death into the lives of those you speak to, I'm going to ask you now to let Jesus come in and clean, cleanse, forgive, give life. Would you do that? Call on Him with me, dear God. Pray with me, dear God. I am a sinner. I know that what has been described today is me. I infect with sin and death because I am infected with it. I've heard the story of Jesus Maybe many times, maybe for the first time today, I heard the story. I believe you. I repent of my sins. And I place my faith in Christ. The Bible is clear. If you prayed that today, He will save you. 
If you place your faith in Jesus right now, He will forgive you. You can come down here and rejoice with us and we'll rejoice with you. You can tell your friends and your family, your spouse. But today's the day. Come to Jesus. Others of you, you're a Christian, but somehow you know what you've been doing with your tongue is wrong. Would you repent today and take your mouth right out these doors and put it to good use and infect the nations with the glorious gospel of God, beginning with your own family, your own home, your neighborhood, all the way to the remotest parts of the earth. Would you do that today? Stand and do as God leads. Come. Oh, my 
everything and I will adore you. If you'll remain standing for just a moment, I just have one thing we need to remind you of the upcoming fall festival. Uh, this is a great time for us to gather and rejoice in the Lord, and it's a neat time of outreach to our community. It's going on on October the 31st from 10 a.m. to noon here 